But uh, so, so you got this period of life, and you guys remind me of all like called transition periods. You know, you might remember like when you went from elementary school to middle school. You know, it was scary. It was weird because you didn't know what to what to expect. You know, those big old eighth graders, you know, might have, you know, been mean or something. I don't know. Then you got from middle school to high school, you know, and the same kind of thing happens. Some people are driving and some people aren't. And you, you, so you got all those trends. Then after high school, you got those who are either going to college or going into the workforce. And then it's all those transition years. And here's the sad part as far as like as, as a church, not not us, but like the church as a whole, the body of Christ. We usually fail the most at transition years. We do. We, we lose a lot of them as they transition from one stage to the next. And it's the same thing as they get older. Luckily, there's some crap that slaps them in the mouth when they get out of college or get to the real world of work. And that sends them back to us. But 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 there's there's transition years are tough. So so one of the things we're, we're trying to do with that Airbnb thing that, that's rented that that money's going to going to go toward is, is that's kind of going to be like our, 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 our youth's senior trip. And then we got people like Jordan who are stepping up to the plate, wanting to get involved with that stuff. And, and, and a couple of those seniors I'm hoping get to make it and maybe even some of the middle schoolers so that we can advise one another on those transition years and try to try to lock it down a little better and help out. So, you know, keep keep in mind for that. Keep as, as maybe part of your prayer life. That should be something you hit on because we don't want to keep losing people at transition years. That's that's bad. Right. And we don't want the craps of the world to, to be what has to bring them back. We want the love of Jesus to keep them uh, the whole time. So, you know, there's that. All right. Now I'm going to jump into the sermon. Right. So in June of 1995, there was a, a lot of research, a lot of planning. Uh, couldn't get a firm number of probably multiple billions of dollars that went into building uh, the space shuttle Discovery. In, in June of 1995 was when it was scheduled to launch. It was supposed to go up there and rendezvous with the Russian space station Mir and, and all this great stuff that, that they had planned for this. And people were excited. The date had been carefully chosen. You know, they, people much smarter than all the rest of us had had gone through and checked out the patterns of, of air and, and, and weather and all this kind of stuff. The weather that day was beautiful. But right before launch, multiple reports came in of strange noises that were coming from launch pad 39B. So they shut everything down and they sent out these investigation technicians and they're checking and they're finding and they find six dozen holes in the main external fuel tank. So no matter how many billions of dollars they spent, no matter how much planning had went into it. No, even matter how great the weather was for that day, it was a useless mission because woodpeckers thought it had been a great idea to peck holes into this main gas tank that was sitting at the bottom of this launch pad that would have taken this mission. Now, you're like, where in the world does that tie into this? Because here's where I'm at. You guys see the title, Almost Revival. I personally think this is probably one of the saddest transitions those were not meant to be linked together, but the Lord does some awesome things, right? This is one of the saddest transitions I've ever seen as we go through Kings, Chronicles, and, and, and even back in the past with Samuel and Judges and all that, as a king comes to rise. Because he had everything set up for success. I mean, think about his story. If we were to make a movie, if you weren't here last week, you missed it, so go back and check it out online. Like, like it's an awesome story, though. I mean, his grandmama is a psycho, but who doesn't have psycho grandmamas, you know? Um, you know, I, I can say that because mine turned another year wiser this year. So, you know, but, but think about, think about it. Her, his grandma's so psycho. She's killing all the family so that she can be queen. I mean, this, this is a rough lady, right? So, so when you look at the story of Joash, it's fascinating. His life is filled with promise because here, here's the setup. The kingdom has been in a steady decline since David, since he cut that head off, walked 18 miles and put it you know, at the gates of Jerusalem for that enemy. After that, it just gets nasty. 
And as we go through Kings and Chronicles and look at all the history, it's just a steady decline of problems. Including last week where we got Joash's grandmama killing off the royal family to set herself up. And then you got this butt. You've got to love a good butt, right? So that, that, yeah. Take it and run with it. It's good. Right? It's true whether it sounds right or not. Uh, right? So, so, so Joash's great aunt had snuck Joash, the infant, and his nurse into the temple. It kept him safe. He's the last of David's bloodline. I mean, it is awesome. Right? It is something movies would literally be made of. And he stays there for seven years. At seven years, this lady who had saved him just happened to be married to the priest. So, you know, he's brought up in an awesome way. And Jehodiah stages this uprising against this idolatrous grandmother who's been trying to kill everybody off and, and being this awesome, awesome, evil lady. What a setup, right? I mean, you've got to look at that and be like, man, this is a great setup. It's going to be good stuff. It gets better. It gets better. The Temple of Baal, still in the last chapter. So chapter 11, the temple of Baal in the city gets destroyed. The priest of Baal put to death. There's a covenant that's reestablished. Proper temple worship was reestablished. It's looking like a golden age for the kingdom of God is finally coming back. Revival is coming, except for I named this sermon title almost revival. Because no matter how great the plans had been laid, no matter how awesome the process had begun and been laid out, something went wrong. There were some woodpeckers. Pecking on the gas tank of this launch pad. And my question is this for you guys. And this really is probably planned to be at least one of the shorter sermons. But but here's the problem. How much have you been set up for success, but you didn't follow through? Because I don't care how great your setup is. And we get all excited about those cliche phrases in scripture about setups. And your setup is going to be great for you. It doesn't always have to be that way. Because your setup without a great follow up sucks. No matter how good you're, we always talk about how bad the beginning and how great the redemption, which is a beautiful story. Don't get me wrong. It's the story of the gospel, right? But I believe I'm probably talking to a large percentage of people who had some pretty good upbringings, some pretty good setups, and they dropped the ball somewhere along letting the woodpeckers peck out their gas tanks, and they didn't make it to the follow-up. Am I right? Could it be true? Could it be at your transition areas in life you missed out? Could it be when you first got married you maybe gave up on the Lord? Could be when you first had kids, you got so busy, you needed that break. What was it, though? What was that transition period that did something for you that, that stopped it? Our modern culture, here's the problem. We have too many things that give us too many reasons to give up and quit. We're a bunch of quitters. You're, you ever watch, and maybe some of us in this own room, so maybe you've watched yourself. But you ever watch, like, the gen- I call it the generation after me because I don't want to be part of it, right? But you ever watch, like, the generation after us, and yes, your generation, don't look at me like that. You ever notice like one bad thing happens and it's the end of the world for them? Oh my God, the sky is falling. It's it. We're never going to get over this. What happened? I missed lunch. Wow. Man. Life. <laughs> and, and, and here's why I'm harping on this from the beginning, guys. Because as spiritual you know, believers in the body of Christ, we've got inner spiritual weakness to quit when things don't go the way we want it to come. And the problem is, I think, in the church, we focus on the big flesh sins. We hit on those things hard all the time, right? Don't do them. It's obvious. Stay away from them, right? But how come we don't ever talk about weak weak character or lack of perseverance? Are they not equally important issues? Huh? Maybe you can say it this way. We need to start defying the urge to quit. Emmett Smith, the greatest running back ever. Yet, don't, don't, mm, numbers speak for themselves, brother. You know what I'm saying? I will come off the stage 
on top of your head, right? I am not scared, right? Greatest running back ever. Yes, he also played for the greatest team ever, right? 18, stay with me. This is, this is, this is really cool. I didn't realize this until, until yesterday, to be honest with you guys. 18,355 yards. That's the, that's the rushing record. Beats the next, the, the number two guy by 2,000 yards. Right? But she was a bear guy by the name of Peyton or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, doesn't matter. He wasn't Emmett Smith and didn't play for the Cowboys. Right? So, so, so 18,355 yards. Now, when I'm reading this, <laughs> Yesterday, and, I, and I, this was so unspiritually related, just to be honest on where I was yesterday, but, but, but God will use it all, right? That's 10.43 miles. Can you imagine running a football against those big old burly, tough dudes for 10.43 miles? Now, if you're a math guy, here's what that means. That means, well, hold on, I, I'm going to go ahead and just spoil it, so. Here's what that means, right? 10.43 miles. He got knocked down every 4.2 yards. Took a beating. Here here it is, though. He defied the urge to quit because that means he got up 4,409 times. What's stopping you from getting up, man? What's stopping you from taking the next step? What's stopping you from just investigating just a little bit further since you don't even know exactly who you are yet and what you believe in all that stuff yet, right? What's stopping you? He had 4,409 knockdowns at only 4.2 yards before he got smacked again. That, that's like four good leaps, guys. I don't even That's like from here to from here to Shane. Well, probably London, probably from here to Shane. Could you imagine going 10.4 miles and getting knocked down every time I run to Shane? Yeah, that's defying the urge to quit. But you got knocked down once and you ain't got back up. Twice hadn't got back up. The question as we look at Joe Ash's story is this. Why? Why did such perfect opportunity for revival slip away from this guy? What in the world did he do wrong? And you're thinking, yeah, but pastor, you always say like revival isn't necessarily like a great thing. It's a great thing if you need it. Hear me when I tell you revival is not a great thing. Revival is not something to brag about because if you need it to be revived, that means you were dead. Okay, so I'm, I'm sick of stupid churches like, oh, oh we're having revival. That means you were dead. This should not be something you shout about. You can, you can shout about after revival that you got revived, but you shouldn't be shouting about you had to plan a revival to get everybody back, right? So, so, but when you need it, when you're a nation or a church or individuals that could be on the brink of revival, why would you stop it almost? Right? When you're about to get a big discovery, why would you stop it? At almost. Man, I forgot she had she had uh, kids today, but man, my sister started this Bible study with, with some, some of you in the room. And, 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 and she's been calling me all the time and like, well, well, what about this? And I'm talking about some big questions, right? And I'm like, well, why do you believe what you first told me you believed about it? Well, that's the way we've always been brought up. That's the way the church has always told us. There's your first big problem. And, and, and I don't mean that to sound so, ne- I do mean it to sound negative. I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm, just, I'm sick of that theology in the church. I'm sick of people believing stuff because they've been spoon fed to believe it and they've never investigated themselves and never developed their own relationship with God. That, that's what gets this guy in so much trouble not to get to point one a little early. He's got follow the leader faith and follow the leader faith sucks because men fail. Okay. That's just the reality of it. Right. So she starts checking things out and she'll send me a message like every now and then now and she's like, I, I'm shocked. 
Like what I, what I was always told isn't exactly what I'm reading right now. And I'm like, yeah, just keep reading. And as she gets mad at me, she'll ask a question. I'm like, what do you think it means? She's like, that's the worst answer you could possibly give me right now while I'm trying to plan something out. No, because I want you to get it yourself. I want to poke enough bears on a Sunday morning or Wednesday Bible study to get it yourself. Right? Develop it yourself. Man, I don't even know where I'm at now because I wanted to jump to point number one so early, right? I don't know. Let's just go back to the good setup means nothing without a good follow-up, right? Because there's a question that comes after that. What have you been set up for? What have you, what has God set you up for? I don't care if we're talking in relationships. I don't care if we're talking spiritually. I don't care if we're talking jobs. And for God's sake, please stop running through every open door, by the way, when I say the setup idea. All right? Because everybody's like, oh, God opened the door. I should. No, God did not open all the doors. You should stop running through them all. Satan opened a lot of doors. I wish God would slam it back in your face before you make it through it, to be quite honest. But that's just the reality of it ain't going to happen, right? Stop before you go through every door. Sometimes just, you just need to be happy and content with where you're at, man. The life you're living today, the, 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 that you're willing to change, whether it be for better or worse, depends exactly on the choices you make. It was almost revival, but we've got a really sad chapter in front of us, right? Let's look at this thing. Here, here's some roadblocks to revival, you could call it. If you're a note taker in need, need like that, right? Here's the first problem he's got, and I just now told it to you. He's got to follow the leader faith. Look back at verse 2. Verse 2 sounded so good, man, until you read it all the way. Like an English teacher would be real proud right now. So that'd be real proud of me, right? Like, like you read it, you're like, throughout the time when Jehoiada the priest instructed him, and if you, if you didn't have that comma, it'd be, Joash did what was right in Yahweh's sight. When I first read that, I was like, yeah, he does what's right in the sight of the Lord. He's a good guy. He's awesome. He's got it going on. But then when you read it in context, like if you were to even flip this in the English translation, it could say, Joash did what was right in Yahweh's sight. While Jehodiah the priest instructed him. Which now means this. Joash didn't do good very long on his own. He only did real good while he had a priest instructing him along the way. He's got a great setup. There's no doubt about it. The lady who saves him happens to be, I know it's just a coincidence, happens to be married to the priest. The priest happens to raise him in the house of the Lord and train him up in all these great ways. And when there's a decision to be made, he happens to be surrounded by God-like minded people who are telling him the right way to make decisions. This is what you should do. This is what you should do. And he does them. And it's pleasing to the Lord because he surrounds himself with great people. But what happens when you're not with the great people? What happens when the great people are gone? What happens when you're all alone at the house? What happens when you're all alone in your car? What happens when you're all alone in life? See, follow, follow the leader faith is weak, man. Because look at what happens. It's a good start. And this parallels with Chronicles 23 and 24 for people who weren't here last week to catch that, right? So Chronicles 23, 16, 2 Chronicles. Jehoiada then made a covenant that he and the people and the king will be the Lord's people. We read that last week. It was awesome. Right? They're making this deal. God, we're back on track. Almost revival is happening. Right? We're getting there. And then the very next chapter, 2 Chronicles 24, 17 through 18, after the, je- the death of Jehodiah, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king. When people, this is like a free point too. I got lots of free points today. When people only come around when you got a problem, you probably shouldn't listen to too much they got to say. You know what I'm saying? Like if somebody ain't checked on you, in years and all of a sudden, like, somebody dies and you get an inheritance? You probably, yeah, yeah, it should be an ooey warning, right? Like, you should, you shouldn't, 
you shouldn't really worry about too much of what they got to say about it. This guy's been leading with the priest and and God's people for so long, and then they die. And the officials of Judah instantly come, they pay homage to the king, and then it says, and he listened to them. Why do we listen to people we shouldn't listen to? Why do we listen to people who only come around when they can benefit from it? What's happening, I hope you hope you get it, is this. Like, he's still a young guy. I don't know exactly how young, because I, I still don't honestly believe he was seven either at the beginning, okay? But there's nothing to prove it, so whatever. All we know for sure is he was in the temple for seven years before being called up to be king. All right, so he was at least seven, right? I don't really care what his age was, to be honest. Right, but but now he's still young for sure. And Jehodiah dies, and these guys instantly say, oh, now we can be his advisors. And they come over with what? Gifts. Right? I brought you this. I brought you that. I brought you this. You know, you can notice the difference in somebody who just comes over to bring a gift when they want something is they'll give you the gift and then they'll ask for something. Seriously, think about it. Let's be honest, right? Your best friends are going to stop by at like 10 o'clock at night when you've made a commitment to start eating better, drop off a carton of ice cream and just leave. Right? Because they don't need nothing from you. They just seriously trying to be good friends. And in your, in your study, you're going to get hungry. So even though you had made a commitment to start eating better, that carton of ice cream is just in the fridge. You're right? And you don't, you don't want like to not know what, what cookie, monster cookie, something, other ice cream. I don't even care what the name was. It had ice cream and it had cookies in it. That's all that matters, right? Like you don't want to, like you don't want to think about what that could taste like. You want to know what it tastes like. So you go, I have no idea where I'm going with this other than the fact that different people ask for something on, after giving something and some people don't. So thank you, Heather and Nicole, for my ice cream. I definitely enjoyed it. And thank you for not asking for nothing after dropping it off, right? Listen to it, listen to it. I paid homage and he started listening to them. The very next verse, man, they, they don't miss a beat. They abandoned the temple of Yahweh. Man, you just made a covenant one chapter ago. They abandoned the temple of, of, of Yahweh the God of their fathers, and they began to worship Asher poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. Man, a great setup, but no follow-up. As long as Jehodiah was around to guide him, he did okay. He wasn't perfect, but he did okay. But it wasn't possible for Jehodiah to make a covenant on behalf of the king. The king had to make a covenant on behalf of himself. Guys, if it was possible to make a covenant for Yahweh, for all of you, I would have already done it. Right. Because I want a church full of people on fire for the Lord who love the Lord, who have a salvation, you know, guaranteed to them. And, and they're dedicated and then and they're studying stuff and they're loving the whole world. But I can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your mama can't do it for you. Your daddy can't do it. For you. you can't do it for your mom or your daddy. You've got to develop your own. Jehodah couldn't do it for him. Right. Others can't do it for you. That follow the, the leader faith mentality. It ain't going to cut it, man. The next problem is he's too easily swayed to the to the next leaders that come to give him advice. And think about how bad this is. Like I, I, I so wanted, by the way, just can I just confess? I was only focusing on verse four through verse sixteen the whole week. I'm gonna be honest. I said, God, you set up rebuilding the temple verses while our fellowship halls tore down. I know this is what you want. It wasn't what he wanted. So there's hardly any points from 4 through 16, no matter how many times I wanted to read it and make it, right? But but there is this, like when you read those verses, 
they had set up everything, another great setup. And, and then there's this little verse that says, but by the 23rd year of Joash's reign, if it takes CCS or any other company or Restoration One or anyone 23 years to rebuild that fellowship hall, the tire guy will learn how to do construction wise. You know what I'm saying? And y'all don't want that because it will fall over, I promise. Maybe I can jack it up, put it on wheels, and we can roll it somewhere, right? <laughs> this is how sad it is. He's been paying it for and by 23 years. I don't know how much of a poor leader you got to be, by the way, to not have checked on something. When our house was getting built, and, and Jay Berger, our very first house we bought, every day stopped by. I can tell you every board that was put in on every day, like checking it out all the time, right? When we moved out here, I come by and looked at every tree that was removed before they started putting houses and foundations down and, and digging for all this stuff. All of it. I've stopped by every day, sometimes twice a day, to see exactly what drywall was removed. I went through and stabbed every, well, not every, almost every two by four with a knife to make sure they dry, you know, dry rot in the well and, and damp and messed up. Like I'm checking it out. How poor of a leader do you have to be for 23 years to have gone by before you noticed, oh, they ain't finished rebuilding the temple? You know what that tells me? For 23 years, he ain't been in the temple. Huh? We've had people, this is sitting to pick on people because they can go to different churches, right? But we've had people like come. We've been here for how many years, wife? Good. The pastor and his wife, neither of us know how long we've been here, so that's good. Right? You guys got great spiritual leaders. It's all wonderful for you guys. Don't worry about it. Because time doesn't matter. Time is not of the Lord. Right? That's why it doesn't matter. Right? I can make it spiritual, baby, all day long. Right? So, so we've been here for a while. Right? And, and, and still sometimes somebody would come in. They'd be like, hey, I came here to this pine grove. And wow, everything's changed. And I'm not saying all of them haven't been in any other churches. But man, how much did you have to miss? <laughs> Right. To stop by and finally realize like it's a whole different body of believers that are inside and things are happening. Right. Man, he's a follower instead of a leader. When God had called him to be a leader. What purpose? We talked about purpose and, and all that stuff last week. Right. What purpose? What plan has God instituted for your life that you're not living up to? He was called to be a leader. He's, he's the king. God saved him to keep the lineage for Jesus Christ alive. And yet he's not leading anybody. He's following the next crowd. And I'll tell you why. Because he has no convictions. You can be a follower if you've got a follower of the right person if you've got some conviction also. But if you've got no conviction, you can't be a follower. And the same danger exists for us today, guys. There's, there's a lot of charismatic leaders. There's, there's super big crowds to follow and, and all this stuff. And it is dangerous. Because I don't know if you've noticed, man, and I hate to even mention it, but a lot of the charismatic, awesome leaders keep dropping off with mistakes. And not that they shouldn't be allowed to make mistakes. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm afraid of is this. The great crowd that's following them, that is following them and not following Christ, they lose their faith because their faith was in a leader and not, not, not in a relationship with Christ. Right? It's so dangerous because people will let you down. Right? It's not faithful if you're only being faithful while you're being watched. Could you imagine it if, if like we did a wedding? Like, could you imagine a couple weeks ago when, 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 when the Bloomingbergs got married, right? Like second, third time you've been called that, right? So now, now they're the Bloomingbergs, right? Now it's all together. together. Could you imagine though if I'd, if I'd have said, Macy, he's going to be faithful as long as you're watching him. That's the saddest wedding line I've ever heard, right? 
But is that not what's going on with this guy? He's faithful as long as Jehodiah the priest is keeping a, an eye on him. I don't, I don't want a marriage where I gotta watch him all the time. Right? Huh? I mean, it's, it's horrible. We talk about all the time kids are leaving their faith. Kids aren't leaving their faith. They never had their faith. They have mom and daddy's faith. And that ain't no faith. That's somebody else's faith. The problem is we got uncommitted followers. The problem is we get so caught up on like these. You ever notice like the first thing they mention when they talk about great revivals? I, I did study this on purpose for, for today, right? So, so, so like we always talk about like almost revival. So, so I looked at revivals and like everything that's listed by revival had the guy who started it. And I already knew a lot of it. I mean, we had studied like Jonathan Edwards and D.L. Moody and, and a lot of the other guys. But the problem is this. I don't think God's necessarily going to spark a giant revival off of one guy. I think he's looking for a people. Right? Is, is that not what Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says? If my people, that's a group, right? It doesn't say if my person. It doesn't say if D.L. Moody or Jonathan Edwards or, or Cliff. If they would just start a revival, it would be all better. No, it says, if my people who are called by my name, right? If they will humble themselves, fall on their face and admit all the sin they've been in. Man, I watched a, a service Friday night. Crazy. Crazy. This kid was a senior in Texas, right? Big guy. Know he's going to the NFL. And I'm watching. I've got my mindset now because like I told you, he's a big guy, right? So wherever your mindset is, like that, I'm just being honest with my, my first thoughts. He's there, and the guy wraps up this message. He's like, we need to have a time of confession. Now, I don't know if the guy meant like out loud or if he meant just come to the altar kind of idea. This big old boy walks on down there in front of him and starts like confessing sins. Like how he started dabbling with sexuality and, and sleeping with women, and, and then that wasn't enough, so he tried out like the homosexual thing. Yeah, yeah, that was my thought. I'm like, dang, dog, I thought you was going to the NFL. Not that he can't, right? But I'm just like, that's my mindset. And he confesses all this stuff. And I'm like, man, he's a senior in high school. Could you imagine being a senior in high school and standing up and confessing this kind of stuff to everybody while you're the star athlete? Right. So at the very end, I don't know if the speaker knew exactly what to do, to be honest. You can see like that. And I'll be honest, when you're speaking at a youth rally, like some weird things can happen. You got to be prepared for anything. I promise you. Right. Been there, right? But I don't know if I ever had this one. And he doesn't know what to do, and he's just standing there. He goes, is there anyone else? <laughs> I'm like, God, man, don't open the floor anymore, right? But but here's what happens. Like 30, 35 kids, they, they come down, and they start praying over this dude. Like, they lay hands on him, and they start, and I'm like, man, I know when Scripture talks about we could, should confess our sins, one another, I don't necessarily know if it meant at a youth rally with 500 kids your age looking up to you as the senior and you confess that kind of stuff. But how awesome was it for these 30, for how awesome was it for this guy that had been living in sin and knew it was wrong and admitted it on all levels. He didn't sugarcoat it none. Like he, he listed them. And then he gets prayed over. I mean, it was awesome, right? It was so cool. Man, he owned it, man. He owned it. Scripture says, if my people will confess I will forgive their sin. I will heal the land. Great things were beginning to happen. Yet the people for 23 years evidently were just taking the money. The leaders of this church. That's the bad part. The, the only the king had no idea. Why? Because he's too busy listening to the advice of other people. He's been riding on the coattails of somebody else. 
And if you get nothing else this morning, I'm going to tell you right now, you can't ride on the coattails of somebody else's faith in Christ. Okay? Because that's the coattail you ride, and it's going to get you in a place you don't want to go, man. you got to get your own. Even Jesus, when he goes to the disciples, Matthew chapter 16, somewhere around 13 through 16, he, he tells them, who do the people say I am? Right? And you're like, yeah, revival starting. Like, it's going to be awesome. Here, here, here's what they say. Here's what they say, Jesus. Here, here's what they say about you. They say that you're the son of man. And then they question mark. And then they say, some say that you're John the Baptist. And some say you're Elijah. Come out. And some say you're, I mean, they're all prophet. They're all, they're all like excited and going crazy, right? On all the stuff that people had said. And somewhere along that line, I think it's closer to 16. Then he follows up with this. But who do you say I am? Who do you say he is? Don't answer out loud, but who do you say he is? If nothing else, it better be the most contemplating, important question you think about for either today or the rest of your life. Because it don't matter who the person beside you thinks he is. It don't matter how many times I tell you who he is. What matters more than anything, Jesus talking to his closest 12 guys. Who do you say I am? The most important thing you can decide is what do you believe? Not with somebody else. Now, that's, that's not an escape goat either of, oh, I don't know what I believe, so I just quit checking it out. No, that means until you know what you believe, you dig deeper than you've ever dug. Because why would you want to have an almost revival and stop early? Right? Joash knows Joadiah, but he doesn't know Yahweh of Joadiah. He doesn't know that guy's Abba Father. He doesn't know that guy's creator. That was a really long point one, so maybe we won't end early. Number two. Second thing he does, he neglects the strongholds. Look at verse 3. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Do you guys remember what the high places were originally originally put in place for? Like the main thing? What what did God tell them in Deuteronomy? You are to go where? To a special place to worship, right? You're to make this trip. You're to worship here. So what do they start these high places for? Two reasons. One, the pagans believe the higher you got to God, literally, this is their belief, the higher you got to God, the closer you were with it. That's why I drive a lifted truck. You know what I'm saying? Like on 40s, I need to get a sticker for the front dash that says I'm so close. Right? <laughs> but, 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 but think about it this way. Seriously, that's their, that's their mis, miscognitive idea of, of perception, right? The second thing, though, is this. You're like, man, rather than have to make that trip, why don't we just develop some places closer to us? When your worship becomes about your convenience, you've totally missed it. Right? Could you imagine if you if you were our eighth graders and, and our middle school guys, not just eighth graders, if you were our middle school guys, and in order to get the word of the Lord, you had to make it to the top of Table Rock. That's not very convenient. I've been to Table Rock. It's a pretty decent little hike for South Carolina, right? Well, depending on which path you take. There are multiple paths to Table Rock. But you take the path that says stay off. It's awesome. <laughs> right? It's great. But what you got to think about that? Well, what makes us think we have the right to make a relationship with Christ about convenience? Is there any relationship that's about convenience? Y'all quit being spiritual and holy, right? But let me ask you this. Was getting married convenient? Oh, you're afraid to answer that one. I'm sorry. 
I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I apologize. Was having children convenient? For those that do know? <laughs> Was it? No, those little brats aren't convenient, man. Stop acting holy. I love you, man, but you're not convenient. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're just not. You interrupt stuff. You get in the way a lot. You've changed our sleep cycles. Like you cost more money. Planning has changed. We used to be able to sleep in, but now you want to get up on a Saturday and play sports. And even if you don't want to play sports, you're so loud when you wake up, no one can sleep in. I'm going to give it to you straight, man, just like always, right? Think about it. Relationships aren't about convenience. What makes you think your relationship with Christ should be about convenience? Oh, God, I'll study when I got time. I made a commitment I'm struggling with just a little bit, to be honest. But but the commitment, uh, I don't even know when I made it, a while back. But it was, I, I'm going to read your word every morning and every evening. Now that I get up, you know, I get up with the kids and all sorts. So the structure's that way. Man, there's so many mornings I sit in that chair and I'm like, if I could just close my eyes for 15, 20 more minutes. <laughs> While Paxton gets ready before I start the next uh, transition here, like it would be great. And I do fail sometimes, right? But But I'm aiming to get it in because it's not about convenience. And it shouldn't be about convenience. You can't make God convenient for you, right? These were idol worship places. These were places on the mountain. These were, these were places where like pagans thought they could do it their way. And what God got people in, in, in so much trouble in the very beginning of worship, notice the decline all through Kings and Chronicles, right, was when they thought they could do it their way. They thought we could make it more convenient. They thought we could do this, right? We, we do it all the time with church, right? We get, we, what time you get up for work? Give me some times. Eight. Five. God bless you guys. Right? What time? Four? Three forty? God, you should come to the altar now, man, so we can pray over you. Are you serious? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Our military guy should get to sleep in. Oh, it's his fault. Dang nabbit. Right? He's already beat you. He's at three forty. You lost. You tried. You beat me, because I'm not getting up that early. But that brother just smoked us all. <laughs> What time do you get up at church? What time do you get up at church? Come on. It's not to hurt your feelings. It's to make an illustration. 7.30. Is that so you can read scripture and have your coffee and be a holy roller? God bless you. Right? What about the rest of us? <laughs> i got to catch up one day. i got to read daily devotionals. <laughs> Way to confess I love it, right? What other time? Somebody said 10, right? I'm going to confess to you guys. I'm going to confess to you guys. Now that the fellowship is down, if I didn't have to get up and do that, that I, I, I kind of preach like I played ball, to be honest with you guys. Like, if you ever played ball for a long period of time, like you get this this ritual thing going. You know, like you don't want to, if somebody messes it up, like you wear the same undershirt to every game. And if you lose a game, that undershirt goes in the trash, right? Like you move on to another one. Oh, you know, I was that kind of guy. Like, seriously. So on a Sunday morning, like, I, I've got my routine. And now that my office is like a sauna, I transition to the gym where little girls like to play all Sunday morning. So it's different. Not bad. It's just different. But I'll be honest, like, if, if I didn't, if I didn't want to do that, I'm with, I'm, I'm with you. I think I'd sleep till 10. <laughs> Maybe 10, 15, because I can get ready really quick. It don't take me long to do my hair. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got a clean shirt in the closet. I'm good to go. <laughs> right? Why? Why? What makes us think 
we can make it convenient for us. But these guys were, were these guys. And here's here's a side note for you. I, I, I got to throw it in there because it's important. These pagan priests, they operated these these places like franchises. Right. So they're really powerful political people. Now, that opens the door on why Joash probably listened. Right. He's reaching an age where he could have been aware of the problem and done something about it. Yet he wasn't willing to make an effort. How about you? What are you able to do something about that you're not willing to make an effort about? Right? But what is it? I mean, these guys were so corrupt at times, guys, they even had human sacrifice. We looked at that back when. Remember? These high places, though, here's the problem. They think if they keep them, here's what happens in Kings and Chronicles. These kings think like if they keep the high places, they got like an insurance plan if God messes up. God doesn't need an insurance plan. We needed an insurance plan, but God doesn't need an insurance plan. Right? He doesn't need an insurance plan. That's not how it works. So if you're thinking like, like, Pastor, what does this have to do with us? We, we don't have idols. We, we, what have you hidden up on the hills of your life where God's no longer sovereign? Hmm? What habits? What practices? What inappropriate relationships? What temptations are you indulging in? What plans have you made that you haven't even asked God about that may mess with your future? Right? What insurance plan have you developed? You, you know how you find out like, like how, how real it is? How willing are you for the dignity of your re- reputation to be lowered for God? How willing are you? How many cool points are you willing to lose to stand up for Jesus? Right? Or, or what, what if your budget gets some drastic changes to it? What's the first thing that gets cut? Now, y'all know I don't care about money because we don't pass an offer plate. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's sad. Right? Isn't it? Because I guarantee a lot of us, oh, yeah, that's the first thing we cut. I can't tell you how many people that I've heard say, well, when I get enough money, I'm going to start tithing. You ain't never going to get enough money. I'm serious. You won't. That's like saying, well, when I'm ready, I'll have kids. You ain't never going to be ready. Never for the inconveniences they bring upon us. Right? You say, I love Lord, but I also love something else. What was your favorite drink this morning? Amen. I knew you'd go there. That's how, that's how predictable you are, right? Coffee. Amen, right? Like a little bit later today, though. Well, today's going to be a little cool. Hot, sunny day. Iced tea. I'm down with Joe on that one. Coke. Ice coffee. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. We're going to ignore you. What did you say, Coke? Where's my brother Duke at? Is he online? Duke, if you online, comment on what you're drinking. Right? I know my brother's going to what he's going to have. Right? A little coffee in the morning. My brother's like me, I promise, so a little Mountain Dew in the afternoon. Oh, God, that's so much better. Right? <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. So you love God, but you also love getting high. I love God. God, sex is so good. Yeah. You know what? Let's just... It's the blue Mountain Dew too, right? Just mix, just a little bit, just a little bit mixing together, right? Because I love God and I also love these other things. So maybe they can all go to go together. Yeah. <sighs> Anybody else want some? You see how ridiculous it is to think we can love both things and have both things as active parts of our life, huh? Right? Think about it, guys. How are you going to say, I love God, but I love something else just as much, right? There was, there was these teachers 
at school, they, they, they met in the, the teacher's lounge and they were talking about this one student. One student came to school every day like filthy, just dirty. And, and one of the teachers, like so mad about it, she, she said this, and this is how they, they wrote it down. That mother doesn't love her child. There's a problem with that. Another lady replies, she goes, I, I think she loves her child. I don't know if you could be a mom and not love a child. And I, I know there's some other that can, right? This is this lady's view. She says she just doesn't hate the dirt enough. How can we say that we may love the Lord if we don't hate dirt? Right? How, how, how can we how can we say I'm not going to tear down the high places so there's no revival? They're so close, yet so far away. Why? Because it's not convenient for us to clean up past mistakes. It's not convenient for a six foot six, 300 pound dude to stand up and confess his sin in front of everybody. But it's not about convenience. It's about what's right. It's about what's going to spur to the next generation, the next movement, what's going to take place, what's going to highlight my relationship with Christ, right? Until we do these things, we're going to miss out. We're going to get close, but we're going to miss out. We're going to have almost revivals. Next thing, I think we're on number three. They surrendered to things that were sacred. Now, this, this is what's so bad. Again, I, I, I didn't get none of the points I wanted to get on 4 through 16. But after 23 years of nothing happening, Finally, finally, they, they changed some things up, right? And they, they have this, they didn't really pass an offering plate either. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's how holy they were, right? And, and they had it there, and when it filled up, they'd give you up the money, and then they would divvy it to those that were working and no longer the, the priests. A lot of people believe this was just the extra money they were given. So they're, they're not even given their normal tithes, their normal offerings that were required. They're given the extra. So people have stepped up to the plate because leaders have failed. But they don't stay there long because without leadership, people crumble, unfortunately. And, and here's where leadership goes in this next stage, 17 through 18. Probably the straw that broke broke Joe Ash's back. That mixed drink's disgusting, by the way. <laughs> right? Ah, there was one drop left that was good enough. Right? 17 through 18. At that time, King Azale... And Aram marched up and fought against Gath and captured it. Then he planned to attack Jerusalem. Cliff's got me like always excited about battles now. It's like when I read that, I was like, yeah, bring it, baby. We done dropped Goliath's head off there. Like we ready. Except for Joash is a wimp. Verse 18. So Joash of Judah took all the items that were already dedicated by himself and his ancestors, Judah's kings, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, thank God for Stacy reading names better than me, right? As well as all the gold found in the treasuries of the Lord. So he's emptying the place out. And he sent them to King Hazel, the guy who was going to attack them. And then it tells us, in case you didn't read between the lines and understand why he sent them, it says, then Hazel withdrew from Jerusalem. He bribes the enemy to get away with what was supposed to be God's. Do we not do the same thing sometime? What's some of the greatest things you've dedicated to the Lord? And I don't care about your dollars, so get on out of that. What about your kids? Mm, yeah, amen, right? Your kids. That's, that's, that's my great. Now, for those who don't have kids, you might have something different. But yeah, kids. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's your talent. Right? Why would you give those things to the enemy so that the enemy wasn't so hard on you? 
You know why? You know why? You know why you're an inconvenience? I love that you can smile when we say this, right? You know why you're an inconvenience? Because to raise you right requires sacrifice. Preach on, brother. Come on up here. You know, I'll go with it. For, for those two to live right in their house requires sacrifice. She doesn't get to yell at him for waking her up at 3.40 in the morning while he's getting up. Because then she'll wake up the rest of the kids. Right? Think about those. It's sacrifice. It's different. Raising your kids the right way means you got to do things different. It would be easy to just let them watch anything, hear anything, see anything, practice anything. But then what have you done? You've compromised your greatest thing to the enemy so life was convenient for you. You want to know why staying faithful to your spouse when they're not watching you is, 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 is hard? Because it'd be easy the other way. But there's consequences the other way. Right? I mean, look at this thing. He, he sacrifices everything. He surrenders everything that was sacred, everything that was the Lord's to save himself. Man, this, this is the saddest ending for any guy who had the greatest setup ever, man. He's faced with a Christ, and instead of turning to the Lord, instead of going back to the people who he knows got right for a little while, why, why didn't he go back to that temple to those guys who had so much integrity? Integrity is what you do when nobody's watching. They had so much of that that nobody even had to count money. How cool would that be, right? Like, how cool would that be? I got a couple customers that way. They hand me the, their, their cash or whatever they're getting. I know I don't have to count it. And if I count it later and it's wrong, I can go collect it. Right? It, it, like, it's just a, a, not in an evil way, like in, in a good way. Like, we just got a good a good thing going. Right? They don't even have to count it. They got so much to say. Why didn't he go to those people and ask for prayer? Same reason you don't. It's not convenient. Same reason you don't fear. Think about the guy. We talk about talents for those that... The, those that don't have kids, so your time and your talent is probably one of your greatest things, right? That God blesses that you sacrifice sometimes, unfortunately, right? The, the guy with the talent. He had that one talent. Remember what he did? He buried it. Not because he was afraid to lose it. What does he say? Because I was afraid I wouldn't do well with it. Why do we let fear stop us from using what God's given us? Right? He uses this as bribe money to the enemy. And instead of trusting God, he trades his prior blessing. That's the, that's the worst part, man. He's trading his blessing. There is no doubt God had big plans for him after the way he saved his life, raised him up, and got him ready, right? When I thought of that trading your blessing, I had to go back to Genesis 25. Y'all remember Esau? Y'all remember the story with his brother where he trades his, he trades his birthright? If you don't remember it, you need it so you can share it with those inconvenient little kids at the house, right? So, so. So he wakes up in the morning, eats his breakfast, and he goes hunting. Why he's hunting, his brother's at the house making some lentil soup, bean soup. He's cooking beans. I don't know anybody who ever got that excited about beans, right? But that's what he's making. He comes back from hunting, and he sits down, and he's like, Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm not going to make it. Please give me some of that. And his brother says, eh, Give me your birthright. That's an expensive cup of beans. You know what I'm saying? He goes, ah, no, man, you just don't understand. And here's the problem sometimes. We exaggerate our problem way more than we should. Go to Genesis 25 and look at what Esau says. Esau says, I'm going to die if you don't give me the beans. He just ate 12 hours ago. He's not going to die. What? He 
he's not even gonna, he's not even gonna lose a pound. He's got enough fat stored on him, I guarantee it, right? This is gonna have no effect on him, but he exaggerates the problem. And his brother again tells him, if you trade me the beans, or trade me your birthright, I'll give you some beans. Finally, he does it. He trades his birthright, which think about what comes with a birthright, not to get us too off track, but leadership, financial security, all that stuff for a bowl of beans. What blessings has God promised you that you're trading for a bowl of beans? Huh? What? Here's why. Because we choose what we want instantly versus what we want ultimately. That's the problem. We're a microwave society. We want it instantly rather than we want it ultimately. If you ain't lost a pound the first day of your diet, you're done. You know what I'm saying? Like I did 50 crunches the other day and I don't have abs again. I'm done. I'm not doing them anymore. I'm okay with it. Right? Think about it. You you do one day of cardio and you expect the next day to be easier and it's not. So what do you do? I'm not doing cardio ever again. It's over. It's for losers. Proverbs says the wicked flee when nothing's chasing them. So I'm not running. I'm not doing them being holy. Right? Think about this. That's what, That's how we are. Because it's not convenience. What it really is. Hey, here, here's, here's, here's what I thought was really neat. Because Esau is just like Joash. He's in a moment of weakness. It's in a moment of weakness that the enemy attacks you the greatest. Now, if you don't think that's true for you, let me give you one more, one more good example because it's so perfect. It was true for Jesus. And if it was true for Jesus, I assure you it's true for you, right? You remember when he went to the wilderness for 40 days? You notice it was at the 40 day mark that, that the enemy comes in and starts tempting him, right? He didn't tempt me when he was strong. Wimp. Right? I hate Satan. He's such a coward. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he, he couldn't tempt him when he was strong. He waited and watched him. You know, the enemy's waiting and watching you. He's waiting when you're sleep deprived and the things that are inconvenient in your life and push the last button. Then he's going to attack so that you break. He's waiting and he's watching. And he's waiting on you to be tired and the kids to have done a couple things. And, 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 and customers or people at work that have driven you nuts. And then for your wife to say one thing and you to snap. Cause he's a loser. And he knows he's a loser. So he's gotta attack you when you're your weakness. That's what he did for Jesus. What do you do? Write it down this way. Don't answer out loud. What do you do in your moments of weakness? Look how different Joash is. He's a, he's a difficult place, man. He's wounded. He's getting attacked by a very successful army that's bearing down on Jerusalem. He found it hard to trust God in difficult places because he stopped trusting God in circumstances long before. That's what it really boils down to. And the same thing for a lot of us. We've stopped trusting God in the hard moments because we stopped trusting God a long time ago in the easy moments. Right? What about us? When push comes to shove, when the budget gets tight, when there's cooler things going on on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night, when your daily schedule is tight, what waits? The Lord or whatever the other thing is, right? If we are hungry for revival, then our resources, our time, our talent, our children, our treasures, they belong to him first. And if we if we surrender the sacred things for the sake of convenience, we shouldn't even be expecting revival. All we're going to get is an almost last thing. Get the last thing. You got to go to Chronicles 24. Ignores ignoring the call to repentance. I'm going to read this one. Chronicles 24, 19 through 22. It's not on the screen, so you got to turn there if you want to see it. 
Although Yahweh sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him. God, is this not a beautiful story, though? I was going to go quick through this one, but I just can't. Right? It's beautiful, though. Think about it. These people are doing what? God's over here. They're doing what? They're running away from God. Yet it's in that moment that God does what? Sends people to them. He sends people to them while they're running away from him, right? And though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Zechariah. We used this last week too, so you should really know it. The Spirit of God came around Zechariah, the son of Jehodiah, the priest, that had set the tone and saved everybody, right? You know it's bad when a dude that saved your life's son comes to talk to you, and you ignore him this way. Matter of fact, they go deeper than ignoring, right? Let's read it. Zechariah, uh, the son of Jehodiah, the priest, he stood before the people and he said this. This is what the Lord says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. We need some people who are going to be honest to us in life, right? Surround yourself with people who are going to tell it to you straight. You will not prosper because you've forsaken Yahweh and he's now forsaken you. And then there's an ugly butt. We don't like ugly butts. That was meant to sound just like the first one, right? But they plotted against him and by order of the king, they stoned him. To, by the order of the king? This is the guy, son, who just saved you and raised you. So it's almost like you guys are stepbrothers kind of in a weird way, right? By order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Man, things were, were so bad just previous chapters ago that they made sure to kill people before they made it to the Lord's temple because they didn't want to desecrate it. You remember that last week? Now we're, now we're just killing God's people in God's house. Man, I could go off on a sermon right there, right? Not talking physically, but how many spiritual, how many emotional brothers and sisters do we kill in the house of the Lord? Right? How many people would have got up and stoned that big old boy for confessing, not because he had a lot of sex, but because he started seeing if he liked guys too? Right? How many people would have stood up at that guy? By the way, that guy, you need to watch it, man. That guy confessed to things I would, if I did it, I, you would never know about it. I'm it ain't, I'm telling you, man, it was graphic. It was nasty. It, the, the guts on that guy to stand up and confess that before a crowd who was super pro-life was amazing. You know why? Because it wasn't about him. It was about what the Lord did to him. And in the middle of that, by the way, not to spill his testimonies, I hope you guys watch it. In the middle of that, what started his turnaround was the death of a child, his own child. You're like, man, I can't believe God would do that. And I'm not saying one sacrifice is worth the thousands that were saved. But you better believe God knows the big picture. God knows what ultimately needs to happen versus what instantly needs to happen. And that's not for you and I to say what's right and wrong. Okay? It's just, just the way it is. Anyway, he confesses all this stuff, and then he talks about how, how everything changed. Complete turnaround. And that's what it's about, right? So, so the Lord said, uh, King Joash did not remember the kindness Zachariah's father, Jehodiah, uh, had shown him, and he killed his son. And he lay dying. <laughs> Man, could you imagine? I, I'm a firm believer, by the way, if you guys study, I'm a firm believer that Stephen is what started Paul's turnaround. A New Testament guy. What I mean by that is Paul refers to the stoning of Stephen multiple times. And he says, this guy, this guy was smiling and raising his hands to the Lord while he's dying. He couldn't forget it. He could not forget it. It stuck in Paul's brain forever. Right? I, I have a feeling this stuck in this guy's brain forever. What does it say? As he lay dying, he said, may the Lord see this and call you 
to account. Could you imagine? You just killed somebody, and while they're dying in a puddle of blood on the ground, they look up and say, may God get you. I'd run away. I've never ran away from a fight, but I'd run away. I'd be gone. I'd be, I'd be so scared, right? Even after Joash had, had strayed far away from the path of the Lord, God in his mercy sent people to invite him back. He wanted the revival. He wanted the restoration. I believe God wants that same thing for us. I really do. But Joash didn't want to hear what he had done wrong, so he kills the messenger. We don't enjoy hearing the hard things, do we? Even when we know they're true. But we need people in our life who are going to be honest with us. Don't we? Don't we need people who's going to warn us before it's too late? I, I always thought it was so evil. One of Crystal's real good friends back in the day right before we got married. I didn't know this until after the marriage. She sat with her for an hour before and said, you sure you don't want to do this? I'm thinking like, man, back then I was a pretty strapping young fella. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's wrong with me? But she was somebody who already went down the wrong the road of a failed marriage and she didn't want it to happen to her friend. So she wanted to make sure her friend had weighed out her options and knew how serious it was. We need people in our life who are going to do that. We need people in our life who are going to look at us and be like, man, it's time to suck it up. We need people who look at us and say, man, it's time you start doing better. You're not being the man. You're not being the woman God calls you. You're not being the daddy. You're not being the wife. You're not being what you're supposed to be. You're not doing it the right way. We need people who are going to hold us accountable. It's important. What, what if Esau had had somebody to tell him, man, your birthright's worth more than a bowl of beans. Right? How different could it have been? Right? I believe it's God's will for us to experience revival, just like he's, he's seeking out these guys. I, I, I believe that unless us as individuals start heeding the calls and the warnings, we're not going to get it either. We're going to have some almost revivals. We're going to miss out. I believe the Holy Spirit, just like he's working this morning, he's worked in our lives this whole week, at least for me. And he's convicting us right now of some high places that need to come down, some sacred things that we've been sacrificing and surrendering. Or maybe he's just saying, you know what, you've been following on somebody else's coattails. It's time for you to get your own faith. Or maybe you're the leader. And maybe he's saying, man, quit letting people ride your coattails. Push them, encourage them, get them right. When they call you for a Bible question, tell them, what do you think? Look it up. Find out. For God's sake, stop believing what everybody else has been telling you if you don't know it. Right? That's the scariest thing we can do is just believe anything because we heard anything. Think about the Bereans in Scripture in the book of Acts. They're well known for checking out Scripture, checking out sermons. You're like, man, if I was the pastor, I'd be a bunch of jerks. I wouldn't let into church. You know what I'm saying? I preach. You better not check up after me. Right? But think about it. These guys get rewarded for it. Why? Because God said, I want you to investigate. What's being preached? I want you to check it out. All kidding aside, I want you to check it out. That's why I give you other stuff to read. Right? Check it out. Get your own stuff, man. Man, look at look at what it says at the end. Verse 19. Can't ignore God and continue as usual and expect revival. Look what it says. Now, the rest of the acts of Joash are recording this other book. What, what, what it's summing up is this. There's nothing else important to record about him. Which tells me this. This is what I read between the lines. He never repented. He never came back to the Lord. Because if he did, it had been written there, right? How few of the few who begin to live for God Continue to the end. How few? How few? Chapter ends. His life ends. Look, look at Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Last verse. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows in his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows in the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good. We must defy the urge to quit. 
for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. He's talking to a bunch of new believers. You got to really understand where this comes. This is like a rock in the eye right here. Talking to a bunch of new believers that have been doing some good things, but they ain't been treated so good by the town they're in. And Paul tells me, he goes, don't you stop doing good because your reward isn't from them. It's from the Lord. It is so easy in this world to stop doing good because people don't appreciate the good. Think about in your marriages, your child raising all of it. If you would just keep doing good, no matter what. You know what I'm saying? You just keep doing good. You keep fixing the coffee. And if he gets mad and dump a little Mountain Dew in it, because it's disgusting. Right? No, you make him a good coffee. You get him a good donut. And you just keep doing it every morning regardless of how you feel. Why? Because it ain't about how you feel. It blows my mind. We don't have people married 40 years no more celebrating. You know why? Because they tell me, I don't feel good about it anymore. Nobody told you you were going to feel good. Bloomingbergs, did I ever tell you you're going to feel good every day? No! I said there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's a train getting ready to hit you in the face. Right? <laughs> Think about it. It's going to be hard, man. Who's influencing you? You, you ever watch? I, I don't play volleyball, obviously, by the way I built. <laughs> I do like beach volleyball a little bit. Right? But you ever watch those, those, those real good volleyball players? Like the professional teams and college girls and all? Like, like their setup, man. It's just beautiful. Like you think it's, it's just complete chaos, but like this one person, she hits it up. And if that one person hits it up, we know who's supposed to be coming from the other row to nail it and drill it home. But could you imagine like if you're on the edge of your seat for like the end of a volleyball game and the setup is perfect and everybody's like, yeah, here it comes. And nobody moved and they just all watched the ball. And then the ball fell down and bounced. And the game was over and you lost. It would have been an almost win. But there was no follow through and there was no follow up. And because of that, we lost the game. Is that not the same thing we do with Christ sometime? We've got great setups. You know, we always, we always go the other way, but I want you, I want you to, and not to say it needs to go the other way. Just because you started off bad don't mean you end bad either. It works both ways. But just because you started good, it don't mean you go in good. There's a lot of examples both ways in scripture, right? Let's make sure we're following through. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, God. God, we thank you for the stories, the illustrations. But God, more than all of that, I pray for a time right now, Lord God, where you clean house. God, nobody else needs to know about it, Lord God, but I pray you make known in our hearts, each individual, the high places that need to come down. The sacred things we've been sacrificing, though, we need to hold on to. The leaders and the people that we've been following instead of following you. God, make us bold enough to make moves. God, help us to be courageous to do what your word calls us to do, Lord God, instead of making your word convenient for ourselves. And convict us right now for the convenience that we've made it. In your great and holy name we pray. Amen.